You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Prosperity in Black America. How do Black people gain more power to help make these changes? This requires a lot of political will and courage. I'm that provocateur of change. I am Cindy Bright. Welcome to Heartbeat. Good evening, everybody. Thank you for joining Heartbeat this evening here on Converge Media. I am your host, Cindy Bright. Today is February the 1st. It's Black History Month. I wrestled with this evening with my introductory comments because it is very difficult for me personally to be talking about Black History Month in the lens of performative measures. We do this every year. We talk about the month of February as Black History Month. We talk about issues, we celebrate the past, but what we're seeing unfold right in front of us is the past is still our present. And so when I introduce the show tonight, I'm introducing it from a different lens around Black prosperity and Black History Month should be about celebrating progress and prosperity for Black America. What I, who I wanna introduce uh, this evening into the show with me, I'm just thrilled to be able to have two esteemed guests, two esteemed gentlemen out of the state of California, the city of San Francisco, who are a part of a historical movement that is happening in San Francisco, California for reparations for Black America. Now, when we, I'll put it in my own words, when I mention reparations to people outside of Black community, there seems to be kind of a reaction to that because people are reacting to what they perceive to be a handout when we talk about reparations. And what I have continued to say and what I have continued to emphasize is centuries of injustice cannot be fixed unless we introduce and implement a system of repairing the communities that we have torn apart and damaged. So here to join me tonight to talk about this progressive work that's going on in the state of California, let me introduce uh, first off the chair of the San Francisco Reparations Committee. He is Eric McDonnell. He is the chair of this committee. I wanna welcome him in. Thank I wanna so also much, welcome in, hi. <laughs> Uh, Eric, thank you for joining us tonight. Yes. Uh, let me also introduce in Dr. Amos Brown. He is part of the S California State Reparations Committee. He is part of the uh, Baptist Church in San Francisco. Let me also introduce in our weekly commentator, Karen Fleshman, who is out of San Francisco, who is a part. Uh, she is down in the Bay Area and is active in these uh, Black community and helping us to uh, look at and address these systems of inequity. So for the three of you, welcome to Heartbeat. Welcome to Seattle, <laughs> Washington, to be having this conversation. I feel it's important that we have this conversation outside of California and across the United States because the work that you're doing there, uh, you know, replicating it, spreading it, that is the focus on how we should be thinking about fixing the injustices that have been done in Black America. Eric, let me start with you. You are the chair of that committee, and I just wanted to hear from you about the work of the committee. I, I read the uh, the report that you have submitted to the mayor there, but I want to, can, can you talk to our community about the work of the reparations committee, not just what it is, who it is, what you're aiming to do, how have things progressed over the last few years? You've been in in this movement since 2019. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to our community about this? Happy to do so. First, just a thank you to you for your leadership and bringing voice and opportunity in this space. Appreciate also the tension you, you hold. I share it in terms of how we hold space in this Black History Month. And so again, thank you um, so much. Um, also just obviously honored and thrilled to be partnering with um, Dr. Brown on this work, both at a state level and locally. Uh, and I would just uh, also start with what, what you referenced in your opening, which is we are at this historical inflection point in this country where we have a real opportunity to fully own our whole full history. Um, and it can be embodied in the reparations efforts that are really 
emerging, if you will, and springing up across the country. Um, and so we're thrilled in San Francisco with this opportunity, not that it has been easy, it has been hard. Um, and so we spent the last two years cataloging and capturing the um, episodes and incidents of harm perpetrated on black folks in San Francisco over its history. And the report you referenced with that we just submitted embodies both that history and the specific recommendations. The reactions overall, actually, let me just rewind just a bit. And so the report, for those that have not had a chance to review it, focuses in four areas, um, in economic empowerment, in health, uh, and in education, and in public policy. And our intention was to capture the harms embodied in each of those areas, and then present opportunities for redress and repair. And your use of, and I will simply echo, the word repair is so critical in this. As you said, centuries of harm are not overcome in a moment, in an act, or with the cutting of a check. And so while we've included in our report and proposed plan, cash remedy, it is one of 50 plus recommendations we've made to both redress or address the harm, to stem the tide on some of the current practices that continue to harm black folks in San Francisco and to build paths towards economic uh, vitality and building of wealth that was destroyed over time here in San Francisco. The reactions, I'll conclude with this for this moment, the reactions to the report have been have covered the gamut is probably a good way to represent it because, you know, black folks in San Francisco are excited that we're finally seeing material opportunities for redress and repair. Other folks, not only in San Francisco, um, but across the community, if not the country, have responded in a different way, um, suggesting that this is racist in, on the face of it as an approach, that we should not be attempting to um, address these issues. The current, you know, population was not um, guilty of any of these practices, et cetera, et cetera. We've heard that argument. Um, and we hold the point of view that again, until San Francisco, until California, until this nation um, comes to grips with owning um, its full history and the responsibility that it suggests, then um, we will never be the country, the state or the city that we intend to be. I appreciate your uh, describing that um, Mr. McDonald, because the reaction that you described around um, other citizens of our country feeling that um, this was the past, this is not the present, they shouldn't have to pay for this, um, is very tone deaf and lacks an understanding of how the damage that has been done to black citizens across this country and the continuing damage to black citizens across this country are still occurring. Mm -hmm. And so reparations, from my perspective, <laughs> as a journalist media host, um, is, a snit, is a smidgen of what can be done to help, um, what I will put in parentheses, level the playing field. Uh, the four categories you talked about, economic prosperity, health, uh, health equity, education, public policy, we all know that these are the areas that black citizens have and continue to suffer from. We saw it in the news this past week again. Dr. Brown, what would you like to add to this conversation around the work of the San Francisco Reparations Committee uh, moving this work forward? I think we must deal with basics and let the world know that this is about the assault against the humanity of African-Americans and African persons throughout this world. And those are the basic facts. Enslavement, segregation, discrimination, was a public policy. And every human being who lives today has benefited from the largest and from the wealth of previous years. So the persons who say, I wasn't back there, well, you've always been present. But anytime any human being has been through public policy, through legalized systems, 
been denied their managers of human existence. We are guilty. And I feel that that's the basic foundational rightness for a form of sensible, practical reparations for African-Americans because we were the only ones because of the color of our skin. For 244 years along in this country and then for 400 years worldwide. And in San Francisco, we can just deal with the last 80 years and what the harm has been to African-Americans through redevelopment, which was not about redevelopment, it was about black removal. Our mm -hmm. population has dropped from 16 to 17% in the 70s, now down to 4%. That didn't happen by accident. It was about removing blacks who had migrated here during the war years. And they had, didn't have any intention of our coming back. All other groups have progressed. All other groups have held their own. Mm -hmm. But it is something that's rotten about this city where even the Wall Street Journal two weeks ago did an article indicating that the 20 worst cities in the United States of America, San Francisco is number 17. So there's the case has been laid. The foundation has been set was to say that the wrong has been done, the injury is before our eyes, and we need to be first respondents and not react with our irrational re reaction, but be responsible in responding and listening to African-Americans and working together as a team to make San Francisco really a progressive liberal city. You know, we hear, I appreciate you saying that, uh, Dr. Brown, we here in Seattle uh, claim to be progressive as well. And <laughs> what I would say uh, here in Seattle, first off, I'm grateful that I'm here uh, rather than other places of the country that um, um, suffer deeper, uh, more deeply than Washington State, than the state of California in some of these issues. You know, I want to emphasize something that you just said that I think is really important, particularly to our white audience who listens to this, because I had a conversation earlier uh, this afternoon uh, about this show tonight with somebody um, who was inflamed by the word or, or by the notion of reparations. Let me suggest that white America has received so much reparations on the backs of black people. And so when I talk about, and when we talk about as black people, when we talk about righting wrongs, all of the issues that white America has access to right now, right? Let's talk about housing. Let's talk about economic prosperity. Let's talk about health equity. Let's talk about wage uh, parity. All the things that I'm on every week talking about. White America has those access because black America has given them literally given them the access to this and has helped build their wealth. So while white America may suffer or struggle with the term reparations, that it's a, sm a smidgen is the word I use of righting a wrong for centuries of injustice. And this is not something that has just happened in the past. We are currently dealing with the injustices of these systems still. Karen, let me bring you in to have this part of the conversation with me because Karen and I know each other really well and we have had these kind of conversations repeatedly about the access. You know, I, I put racism in two categories. I put it in access and power. And both of these issues are the issues we aim to change, to give access to black people into political power where we can change some of these issues into earning and positions of power in business and corporate America to help us move this needle. Karen, what are your thoughts about, you're in San Francisco, talk to me about San Francisco's reaction to this committee, the work, where you're at. Well, first, I just want to thank so much, Dr. Brown and Eric. It is such an honor to have you on the show this week. Thank you so much for imparting your wisdom. I heard you speak today, Dr. Brown, of, of we need words, wisdom, 
uh, wealth and work. So uh, we're very grateful to have you here today. And as you were talking, um, Cindy, I was reflecting on my own family. So on my mother's side, my great grandfather arrived in this country in the 1850s and he made his way to Western Nebraska where through the Homestead Act, he acquired 160 acres of arable farmland for which he paid $60. That land is still in my family's possession. It's mm. where my mother grew up. It's how she became a homeowner, how she became a college graduate. It's how I became a homeowner, how I became a college graduate. And the Homestead Act benefited, like me, there's something like 49 million Americans who can trace a Homestead Act land grant in their family's lineage. Now, the narrative I grew up hearing was, oh, our incredible great-grandfather, he was this immigrant, he came to this country with nothing, he was a homesteader, it was so hard to to build a, a house and to start this farm and he just worked so hard and everything we have is because of his hard work. It was only when I started peeling this back a little bit that I realized that land was the traditional territory of the Cheyenne, Arapaho and Kiowa people. And that, you know, a decade before he got there, uh, militias composed of white men genocided and and removed them from that land, forced them to live in far off reservations. And at the same time that my great-grandfather was arriving, there were millions of recently emancipated Black Americans who were forced to live on the same plantations where they had previously been enslaved as sharecroppers. And if they tried to do anything, if they tried to organize or even just move, uh, white people lynched them, raped them, subjected them to terrible violence. And so the Homestead, Homestead Act exclusively benefited white people. Now, were, was my family a slave-owning family? No, we were not. But we did benefit from this. And all white Americans in some way have benefited from systemic white supremacy. And I believe we owe it to black Americans to recognize the exploitation of their labor, free labor that built this country and the prosperity that came from it that, that landed in the hands of white Americans. It's time to give that back. It's time to make things right. And I personally believe that will be liberatory for all Americans. It will be such a healing moment for me as a white American to, to know that the harm my ancestors caused, that I have caused, that, that we have repaired that harm, and now we can actually be fully equal and fully free. Thank you, Karen, for saying that. You know, it is so, I mean, I have chills in my body as you talk because it is so rare mm -hmm. to hear a white woman talk. Let me restate that. It is so rare for me to hear a white woman own what has happened to your brothers and sisters across this country and to acknowledge that you are not losing out by your brothers and sisters gaining also. And just the acknowledgement of it, which is what is very difficult for many white Americans is to just acknowledge you have what you have because of us. And so how do you stand in the way of black citizens, black leadership, Dr. Amos, Mr. McDonald, how do you stand in the way of people who are fighting to fix the next generations that are coming behind us because it cannot continue. Look, tell, talk to us about, uh, I'll go back to you, Mr. McDonald, where, where is the plan in terms of, I know you've presented it to your mayor, is it London Breed that's the mayor in San Francisco, you've presented it. Where are you with the plan? What does the plan entail? I think I read something about $5 million per black resident. 
how will you figure that out? How will you implement that? Where does the money come from to pay citizens? Like, give us an update on kind of where this is at. Sure. Thank you so much for the question. So in summary or short, the um, status of the plan we submitted, as you referenced, a draft plan to the Board of Supervisors, the mayor and the Human Rights Commission. They are reviewing. We actually have a hearing on Tuesday of next week, the 7th, to kind of open discussion and dialogue about at least the draft plan. We have a final plan that is due to be submitted um, to those same parties um, in June of this year. In the interim, two substantively, two things will be happening. One, the committee will continue to refine elements of the plan, potentially add additional recommendations um, in preparation for submission. The other, I don't want to call it a, well, a body of work will be the creation of a groundswell of community um, engagement that results in a wave of civic engagement that will usher in, hopefully, political will to actually take action. There's unfortunately nothing in the charter that requires um, the Board of Supervisors or the city to take action. Um, so uh, it is possible, and this is an extreme, I don't think this will be the case, but it's possible. All of this work for be, could be for not. Mm -hmm. uh, there is that possibility. However, um, we don't intend to allow that to happen. And so there'll be fundamentally, there'll be a lot of advocacy work that uh, has begun and will continue and hopefully crescendo into some real meaningful action. On the very specific point of the $5 million, um, I would say two things quickly and briefly about that. One, we hold a point of view as a committee that this is one element of, again, a broad and comprehensive set of repair measures for Black folks in San Francisco, and that this one in particular, in many respects, is almost a capital investment in individuals and their families being able to reestablish themselves, to create pathways to their own um, opportunities for economic development and health access, and education and business development, that that's what they choose. Ultimately, all of that leading towards their own path towards wealth creation, the very fundamental thing that was has been robbed from black folks across this country since its inception. And so we believe we have that opportunity. The last thing I'll say is it's important, I think, for I would suggest for all of us to appreciate this country in the very soil and water of this country was founded upon a principle of sustaining white supremacy, white power, and white wealth. And so we're all affected and infected. And to, for any of us to declare we aren't affected by white or otherwise is like saying we got in the pool, but we didn't get wet. The reality is this is what we live with. And so we all have some level of to, to, uh, or an opportunity to understand all infected or affected by that. And this opportunity in the context of reparations is an opportunity. And I, too, appreciate, Karen, your ownership of, of this issue personally, um, is an opportunity for us to make amends, create repair, create opportunity. And I absolutely agree that by creating these opportunities for black folks across San Francisco, California and the country, the country will benefit in the same way it benefited by building this country on our backs. And let me just mention. Let me just mention here the immediate harm, the medium income for black people in this town per capita is thirty thousand dollars a year, but for whites is one hundred and ten thousand, and for uh, Asians and Latinos is seventy-five to eighty thousand dollars a year. My God, why should we be down at the bottom? of the totem pole. That indicates again that there has been, now it's not an Olympic here, but in, when you look at the wound, when you look at who is the sickest, it's the Af African-Americans. And that's the reason why I personally said that for the good of the people, we need comprehensive programs dealing with health, physical health, mental health and environmental health and next education. We need a comprehensive program for the good of the people that will deal with the underachievement of far too many young people in our schools in this district. You cannot build a safe, successful society on ignorance and too many persons are untrained 
and have not experienced accomplishments academically. Nate, the matter of the presence of blacks in this town and the celebration of their culture and their history is so important. Psychologists have said when a people do not feel that they belong, when they're disconnected, it is injurious to their psychic and socially they become a liability to themselves. Therefore, the watering holes that were destroyed by public policy, redevelopment, the Fillmore, the Harlem of the West, should be restored. If other people can have their enclaves, the Chinatowns, Japantown, the Mission, Little Italy, North Beach, the Italians, and the white folks got practically most of the financial district. Why can't black people have also their watering hole, their place where they will celebrate their culture and be about not receiving just a handout, but a hand up to be economically solvent and successful as other groups are. Dr. Brown and Mr. McDonald, look, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree with your uh, powerful words that you're sharing this evening with our viewers, with the people who will be seeing this show. This is not a handout. This is a hand up. And every single citizen in California, outside of California, just to understand how money multiplies, right? The economic power of this alone, since that tends to be what white America focuses on is economic power only. And, but just that element of it helps everyone to prosper. That should not be the argument from my perspective about why this should be done. This is the right thing to do by black Americans, by black people who came over chained together, including my family, my lineage, chained to the bottom of a boat to help everyone here to be able to have what they have today. And no matter how you break this apart, no one in this country can have what they have. We are on indigenous land we have built this country on the backs of black people. And so we are, this is not an if discussion. This is a now discussion about why this needs and must happen now. And we are grateful that the state of California has taken the lead and gone out in front to make a statement, to take a project team, a committee together and to make recommendations. And we will tag Mayor London Breed in the show tonight to make sure that your citizens see it. And we will make sure that our Washington State Legislature sees this show as well. I wanna thank both of you for coming on the first half of the show. I knew it was gonna go quickly. I honor you. We as black people honor the work that you're doing in the state of California. Thank you for your work. We're gonna take a quick commercial break. I will be back in touch with the both of you because I will be checking in and then we'll do our second half of the show to debrief this. So let's uh, take a quick commercial break. What's up everybody, it's your girl Trey Holiday. We're bringing back black love when we met. That's right, we need something to warm all of our hearts and to elevate love once again in our communities. We want y'all to go to whereweconverge.com forward slash black love so y'all can nominate your favorite couple for the next rendition of this show with me as the host. Let me sit down and have them on my couch and share how their love can inspire us all. Make sure y'all go and get your nominations in today and be on the lookout for Black Love when we met coming at you on Converge Media very soon. Welcome back to Heartbeat. Thank you for joining uh, this evening. I'm your host, Cindy Bright. Whew, is that a quick first half, but a powerful first half of our show where we um, had uh, two members of the Reparations Committee from the state of California out of San Francisco. Let me welcome in our regular commentators on for the second half with me. Let's bring Karen Fleshman back in, Stephanie Coverson, Joy Stanford, and Aaron Jones is with us this evening. Hey, ladies. <laughs> How is everybody? Were you able to listen to that conversation? Wasn't that a powerful dialogue about what they're doing in the state of California? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm fired given, up. 
You know, given this past week, um, I struggled a little bit today with the words to talk about Black History Month because we're all watching the fact that Black history is still current history, right? We still are watching um, yep. Tyree Nichols. Like every week there is something going on that Black people are being diminished, killed, um, all of the issues that we deal with as Black community. But wasn't it inspiring to hear that we have a committee in the state of California that's at least tackling this? And uh, Karen, you can probably talk more to it. They've been assembled there for three years. Um, it, it's hopeful to me that we might be able to start doing some things different as a country, as a nation, to help repair the harm that's being done in Black communities. Yes, and a lot, I, I just want to urge my non-Black uh, San Franciscans and Californians that this it, reparations will not happen unless we support it, unless we build a multiracial coalition that says repairing the harm done to Black people, addressing the anti-Blackness in our systems, institutions, and policies mm -hmm. is important and needs to happen. Right, because black people only make up uh, 6% or I think he said 4% of San Francisco and I think about 17% of the state of California. So we need a multiracial coalition of support saying we wanna see this happen. But it is so inspiring to see the scholarship and the, um, you know, just the real presentation of making repair real. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, you know, it it is hopeful for me. I mean, I read the plan. It's very comprehensive. They've done an excellent job of dissecting, including the different sectors of um, support that are part of this committee to help look at every lens to this. Um, let's say three of us here, no, four of us here have all ran for public office, all of us without uh, Stephanie yet. We, we have to keep her, we have to keep her primed for this, but this is why we all run for, we've all ran for office is to try to help make these changes. Um, let's hear from, you know, Joy and uh, Aaron. I'd love to hear your thoughts about what you heard in the first half as well. So there are a couple things that I, Really keyed in. I was taking notes here as a as a teacher. Like I just forever <laughs> yes. take notes. But I, I wanna share a couple of things that I heard because I was on Capitol Hill this week. Um, there are a number of students that wrote a bill around education that was not about repair. They don't list it as a repair, but I see it as a form of reparations is making sure that our schools are using diverse curricula in their classrooms, in my mind, as a way to repair harm that's been done in schools. And so I just want to mm -hmm. bring some connections for me with what mm -hmm. I heard um, in the, the first half of this message and what I'm seeing on Capitol Hill right now in our state. So four things were said. Centuries of harm are not repaired in one check. That's I right. love that. Like, we're not just going to give a check mm -hmm. away and now suddenly we're good. We're good. After 400 years of harm, we're now good. So I really appreciated that. Um, the other thing I appreciated, every American has benefited from the inhumanity experienced by black people. Mm -hmm. And I would offer to, and you kind of mentioned this, Cindy, earlier, but especially in Washington state, also our indigenous communities have experienced incredible harm yeah. here. Um, and then the last two things that I just wanted to call out because this came up in the testimony against the diversity, equity, inclusion bill on in our state legislature. So people who think Washington state is so progressive, yeah, I was so disturbed when I went and sat in this testimony on Monday, but here's what was said. Even for white people who did not participate directly in slavery, all of them benefit from the harm caused to black Americans. And I think, Karen, you're the one who said that um, white people do not lose out by black people receiving resources. Mm -hmm. and, and where I want to make the connection is I heard a number of people testify against this bill that a bunch of students of color had written by saying diversity, equity, inclusion, and education takes away from white children. That's terrible. And I just hate, I hate the scarcity mentality that so many people have. And I, I always think about adding, it's not about taking away. And I, I used this analogy on TikTok yesterday. 
I think for too many white people, the spotlight has been on them. So we've had a spotlight on them. So we've heard these really narrow stories of mostly white men. All I'm asking is that we take the spotlight back so we can see all the people on the stage. Mm-hmm. We're not saying yeah. let's kick you off the stage. What we're saying is we all need a spot on the stage in education. And that's what these students are asking for. And it's not about taking anything away. And Karen, I really appreciate what you said, even for white Americans who came here in the last 100, 150 years, they have still benefited from the harm that was caused to black people 400 years ago, 300 years ago, 100 years ago. And so even if you didn't have slaves, you still have benefited. And so think about the kind of repair to all of us, the healing that could happen if we were to repair the harm. And that's where I like to stay, is right there. Mm -hmm. And that reparations is good for the healing of all of us. Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, that's very powerful, Erin. Joy, let me bring you in too, because I heard you commenting about that. You know, what's so important with what you just said from my lens, Erin, is that it's the reaction that some white Americans have when they hear that black Americans are about to get something or about to, and I will challenge every of my white viewers who listen to this. And I have several, I have a lot. I know that because I hear from you. Why do you react so strongly to black people prospering? Because even in the education space, I mean, Mr. McDonald and uh, Dr. Brown talked about like, it's been so it's been it's been centuries of injustice. And so when you think about like what you were saying, Aaron, about, you know, even in the classroom, I mean, look, you and I have some similar and different views, Aaron, about education. But this is why women like you and me fight for um, options for education for our kids, because the movement is happening now in Florida to to not even teach our children. Um, and, and did you, any of you catch the um, the young woman? She was a white woman who came on. She was, I can't remember where I saw it. Stephanie, you may know, but um, she talked about how they want to learn about this because this next generation, we're handing the baton to them. And so Let's hear from you, Joy and Stephanie. Come on in and talk about your views about what we're talking about here. You know, I was going to say, Aaron said exactly what I was going to say, is our indigenous uh, indigenous brothers and sisters have suffered as well. But what I, what I like to hear from elected officials is that if we get something, we as people of color get something, everybody gets something. And, and... You know, I I live in a district where um, our school board doesn't want equity, diversity, and inclusion, and anything does not want any slavery, any any kind of um, American history, true American history taught, and so they've taken all of that out. And you know, there's this grassroots effort to say we want that put back in. So I, I'm with Aaron at the education level. I I feel like there were kids of color who obviously wrote this or just children period who wrote that bill how do you stand up and speak out against something like that i i'm just a little shocked and i shouldn't be as we continue to have all these things transpire in our world i shouldn't be but i am but i i always go back to when we get ahead as people of color everyone does everyone benefits from us, like we all are saying. And so I, I just, it, it's disheartening, but it's it's also great to hear what's happening in California and how they're changing that narrative and, and bringing everybody along um, on the same kind of thought process around this and um, very encouraging to hear. And, and mm-hmm. I, I heard Dr. Brown's name for many years, um, uh, my mom and dad talked about him. And so mm-hmm. in that, I'm from California and I just was like, oh my God, that's Dr. Brown. So I was, I was fangirling back here a little bit. <laughs> Stephanie, what are your thoughts about what you're hearing tonight? Um, all I can think about is uh, Rihanna's song about uh, give me my money. 
I mean, to be honest, <laughs> let me be honest about it, because it's not just about it's not just the, about the period of plantation chattel slavery. Right. It's about reconstruction, whereas, you know, there were some attempts, I mean, and, you know, frankly, piss poor, though they may have been, there were some attempts. Um, and then we went into redemption you know, where white communities tore down, destroyed, uh, burned down, flooded out uh, black communities that were flourishing mm-hmm. and doing well and uh, and prospering. So it's about that. It is also about Jim Crow and mm-hmm. segregation. And it is also about companies like big fortune 100 and 500 companies that also benefited from chattel slavery. So we've got Aetna that came out and acknowledged that they used to sell insurance policies Mm -hmm. um, so that if... um, you know, something happened to a plantation's uh, enslaved uh, black folks that they could get paid out for that. J.P. Morgan Chase, New York Life. Um, so this is not just about uh, repair and and financial um, financial wholeness. Um, it is also about truly acknowledging the history. Uh, that caused uh, a lot of the disparities that we see in uh, our economic forecasts, health outcomes, being locked out of public policy through voter suppression, uh, the voter ID laws, these wild gerrymandered uh uh, districts that look like squiggles, like n- none of it makes sense. Um, and even just sort of talking about, for example, housing mm-hmm. and so how when the Federal Housing Administration started their program uh, to insure home mortgages, uh, they required uh, applicants to be living in white neighborhoods. And so this mm-hmm. whole issue of redlining, which now has decimated black communities and those school systems. And so you think of uh, Mercer Island and Medina, you know, mm-hmm. versus um, other uh, how other school districts are funded um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in areas that are not as affluent. Like all of this is interconnected and interrelated. And one last thing I'll say, just as like a recovering chief HR officer, (laughs) I think about this from a perspective of theft of wages. Yes. Right. So if an organization did not pay, whether it be overtime, salary, you know, kind of whatever it is, and the enforcing authority finds out that, you know, it was intentional, like there are punitive damages to that. And mm-hmm. so for us to have this conversation about how it's no big deal and, you know, those black folks need we just need to get over it. We cannot get over it because we are still living the impacts mm-hmm. and the yes. harm. This wasn't an isolated incident that happened back here and the United States got right. Like it just got religion. And then suddenly, um, you know, there was fair and equal access to all. Mm -hmm. And I think it's time. I think it's time for us as a country to get real. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's time for us as a country to really start uh, examining and unpeeling all of these various policies and uh, the racial context and nuance for all of them. You know, Stephanie, when you talk about that, you know, if I had a 
glass of wine in front of me, we would be um, toasting right now because <laughs> everything that you just said, I, I, I want to echo a few things that you said. And you guys may have wine right now. I don't. I'm in the studio. But I think what's really important, well, there's many things that you you enjoy and Aaron have said um, that have, have uh, warrant amplifying. Number one, you know, when you used uh, J.P. Morgan as an example, um, you know, we should talk about the fact that, you know, the what when we use the term reparations in white America, it triggers them to be a handout. Okay. And yet let's talk about where the handouts have gone in this country. Let's talk about where the handouts have gone. All right. Let's start with J.P. Morgan Chase, who when the banks were falling apart, Guess where they guess where they reached out to to get their businesses back on track right. and guess who wrote them a check? Yeah. Right. Let's talk about, you know, Stephanie, you're right on about, you know, Stephanie and I are both recovering chief people officers uh, dealing with the atrocity to wage parity and equity inside of business where wealth is being built. It is not black people that are getting access to that. And so to the point that you're making about where we still are today, even you know the points that Aaron was making about access to education, black children are still not getting access to education. They, and so this is all intertwined. Who just said it like Stephanie, like this is all a part of a system that beyond fixing, we do have to do some repairs mm -hmm. to even try to level. And even the $5 million number that they're putting out there in San Francisco, I mean, I don't know what the right number is. I know right now you can barely buy a house in, on the east side for $5 million, right? So it's while the number seems extravagant to white America who feels like that's just going to be handing black people money, first of all, I say, so what? I mean, okay, so what? Why, why do you even have an issue with that? But number two, that will buy people in the state of Washington a house, and I think in San Francisco as well, a house and put money into a retirement pension, right? That's not a huge amount of cash to be handing to a family in today's market of what That's it right. takes to even have home ownership. Would you disagree right. with that? Not, not at all. No, no. Not at all. And the property taxes from that? The property mm -hmm. taxes, uh, the capital gains taxes right. and all of those other taxes, you know, that come into play, like with retirement funds or investments like that money would go back into the community. Mm -hmm. um, that money would go into state coffers. And I think it's important that we start reframing similar to like Social Security and Medicare. Reparations is an earned benefit. That's right. So the United mm -hmm. States had no problem with forced labor, right? Mm -hmm. And then once, um, and then once uh, emancipation occurred, some of those same plantation owners tried to hire in um, or bring in our uh, some of our AAPI brothers and sisters mm -hmm. to work on those plantations as uh, sharecroppers and. And so all of our histories and all of the atrocities um, from chattel slavery to present day, our stories are intertwined, mm -hmm. right? And so this is an earned benefit. And so had our ancestors been paid um, and actually uh, courts didn't intentionally overturn and disregard wills, uh, last wills and testaments of black folks mm -hmm. and steal property from those families that actually had property. That's how you build generational wealth to Karen's mm -hmm. point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so this is a really an earned benefit. Yeah. Aaron, were you about to say something? Yeah, I want to speak to make a connection between something she just said and something Dr. Brown said and something I've said for years. So I but most of you probably know I was not raised in this country. So I was raised in, in Europe in a, a socialist country, social democracy. We still elect our officials, but it's still socialist, those awful socialists. But one of the things I find really interesting about the United States is 
we are willing to invest in structures that oppress people like prison right. systems and yeah. policing. Um, mm. The Europeans are willing to invest on the front end. So in the United States, one of the things I said to my husband, who was raised in the United States, is the Americans love to invest once someone has failed enough. Like you have to prove that you are failing enough before right. we'll invest in you. In mm. Europe, they say, okay, okay, let's avoid the failure. So let's invest now in education. Let's make sure that as the economy, there's something happening in business and people lose their jobs. We're going to invest in re-education of people so they can go back. And so I want to make a connection between something that Dr. Brown said in education. What if instead of investing in prisons, we invested in people and black folks? Mm. And, and I would argue, having taught in all black schools, in all black communities, that we give them substandard books, we give them substandard um, locations. I mean, I, I taught in a school that had no library, no cafeteria. We did not even have a computer in my building um, back when I first started teaching. Not one computer in the entire building. And I remember thinking, of course, these kids are not going to read. How, how do you learn how to read when you don't have a library? Think about Florida right now. That's emptied out their libraries, right? It's a guarantee that children will not be able to read. But we're willing to invest billions of dollars in the prison industrial complex. That's right. And so when people say we don't have the money for this, oh, we do. We do. Yeah, we're, just, yeah. we're just spending it in a different way. It's all about reframing the conversation. If we invest yeah. in people so they're well-educated and they can contribute to the economy, then that, that ends up benefiting everyone. But we've made a choice. We've made a mm. choice to incarcerate people. We've made a choice to not educate people. And I just want people to acknowledge this is a choice that we're making. It's not by accident. Mm-hmm. And, and our last guest from the other week said $2,000 a day to house someone in King County Jail. But and then like take that a, a day or a week or whatever that statistic was by the month, by the year, $70,000 to educate somebody. And not even that much if they went to trade school, it's less money. So we could be educating, have, helping them find whatever you know avenue they wanna go down, whether it's electrician, plumbing, construction, whatever, it would cost us less to train them and educate them on that than it is for us to keep them in jail. And I think that's a shame that that, that, that those two numbers. And it's intentional, so, but it's intentional yes. by design yes. because yes. that is what happened after um, emancipation. Yes. And so when these landowners no longer could uh, benefit from this free labor, then they started to create laws that it was illegal to be unemployed. It was illegal to turn down job offers. And right. that was specifically true when a white woman would want a black woman to come in and take care of the kids and clean the house. And they were affronted if said black woman said no. Right. And so the way that our prison system works as this go to model for punitive measures versus rehabilitative it is working as it was designed. You know, I wonder, um, I'm just throwing this out to see how you guys respond to this, but I wonder, so I think many people know I teach, I'm a professor at Seattle Pacific, and so I teach a class uh, called Leading in Diverse, uh, Diversely, Diverse Contexts. And it's fascinating for me to listen to my students um, you know, business school students who are trying to get their head around all of this stuff and trying to make sense of what is going on. I, I felt, you know, I teach on Monday nights. I felt this past week that we had such powerful moments because the word that I use with them is I feel like we're at a tipping point. And the tipping point when we watched in the news this week, I mean, it's every week. Like I start my classes off every week giving space to, to young people who are experiencing things that us, I think all, of, all five of us are of an older generation, or at least we're in our mid-careers, put it that way, <laughs> that we've been accustomed to mentally dealing with and they haven't. And so mm -hmm. listening to them unpack and process what's happening in this world and is there hope for the future now 
Monday night when I signed off, I actually felt like there was a little bit of hope because I don't feel like young people, and by young, I mean maybe 35 and under, I just don't feel like they're going to, they want to be a part of the solution. And maybe that's how I'll say it. They want to help fix what's going on. And so in the last couple of minutes we have here, like, do you, do you all see any beacon of light in terms of progress being made to help change this narrative? Karen, I'm going to start with you because you're in a very progressive city who's working on this. Do you, do you feel hope with what you see happening? Um, yeah, I do feel hope and we still have to organize. We still have to build that multiracial coalition to make it possible. I don't know if you saw today, but the college board today acceded to Ron DeSantis demands about changing the AP African-American history curriculum to drop intersectionality, critical race theory, any mention of Black Lives Matter, any mention of Black queer issues, all of that the College Board said will take out of the curriculum. And, you know, there's just a huge war to your point. Gen Z wants to do something. They want to know these things. They, they want to face the truth about history. And the, the, the white supremacist, uh, hierarchy is saying, no, we will not let you learn about that. Can I, I want to add, speak to that. Again, this is a choice. And I don't know if people are aware of this, but because my husband is an AP, he's an AP trained teacher. So we've been really paying attention to this. Um, Florida actually funds all of their AP tests. So Florida pays for every student who's, and so there's a huge incentive to college board to bow down to to whatever DeSantis wants. And so again, this is a conscious choice. It's a conscious mm -hmm. choice. We are making a choice. And don't think that this can't come in California or mm -hmm. Washington State, because I just, I just sat through, I just sat through testimony and there were more people signed in against the DEI, including a superintendent that I know, including a superintendent I know. There were more people signed in against than there were in favor, yeah. right here in the state. I think there's hope. I, I do think there's hope because I think we've got young people who really want to, but we have to encourage that. We have to empower them. We have to tell them that what they are doing is the right thing because they're getting all the noise over here that it's not. And I think there's a fear there. And I think the women on this screen, we have stepped out of that fear, at least I know for me. I did because in 2018, I didn't want to talk about that. I didn't want to wear red lipstick. I didn't, you know, because I thought I just had to be this certain way. By 2019, I was like, screw that. I can be me. I can say what I'm going to say. You don't have to like it, but you, you can come and be that authentic self. And I think a lot of the kids don't understand. And so that's on us as older folks, as folks who are seasoned and been through it to empower them to, to go and to do that and to understand that it's rough. And yes, we watched our ancestors and Martin Luther King and the Shirley Chisholm's and um, the uh, Fannie Lou Hamer walk through hell in order to get to where we are now here doing that same thing. We need to empower and encourage that more. I, Stephanie, I final thoughts before I go ahead. Yeah. I. I I am hopeful because I think that the vitriol, the large volume of pushback and everything that is going on um, is a death knoll. And mm -hmm. so I think that this is sort of that that last stand. Um, and so we have to, to your point about being on a precipice, we have to continue to push and we have to ensure that the younger generations know the real, the real, real. Mm -hmm. And I also last point, you know, I, I think of what's his name, Jerry Jones of the Dallas Cowboys, who is just very casually in a picture of um, uh, black youth trying to uh integrate his school 
And so just a blip, very casual about it. Those folks are still alive, right? Mm-hmm. And they are in powerful positions. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so that is why they do not want that history told right. because we will find many of them in it, mm-hmm. right? And so we have to make sure that all of our youth are educated about black history and uh, and I would also say multicultural, multiracial history, because if we don't learn from what has happened in the past, it's going to happen again. Yep. Let me let me just uh, look. Thank you all for I know all of us can talk about this till midnight about um, a couple things I want to say. One um I want to bring to the forefront something Aaron Jones said around, for those of you who don't know our viewers, legislative session is happening right now. And so decisions about brown and black people are happening right now when it comes to public policy, when it comes to education. And when she articulated that, you know, people are superintendents of schools are going up against diversity, equity, and inclusion in the schools. That is another major red flag here in Washington state, that we still have the pushback coming from the truth. And if we are not addressing the truth as a state, as a community, we have no ability to bring forward even the conversations like what we had on the first half of the show around how do we repair our communities. This is a conversation that must continue. We must continue to talk about what's happening, how we fix these issues, solutions that you have five people on this show every week talking about ways to help change prosperity for Black America. So I wanna thank all of my co-hosts that came on with me today. I wanna thank Eric McDonald, Dr. Brown, those who joined us this evening for helping us. We will continue to share the show and pushing out into San Francisco and everywhere to get this voice out. To our viewers who joined us, thank you for joining us this evening. Next week's show um, is another uh, exciting and interesting conversation. We are gonna be hosting an actual live debate here on my show, and it is about Initiative 135, which is about social housing. So I'm looking forward to um, having that conversation on air next week. Thank you all, we ran a little bit over this evening. So thank you for staying with us tonight. Have a good week. We look forward to seeing you next week. Good night. Half that up the sacks. I favor black businesses. Assuming I'm rooting for everybody that's black. Converge Media produces culturally relevant content for black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective. Praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.